Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, Under Pressure, with a message titled, Strong Church Leadership. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. reading 1 Peter 5, 1-7, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Now, clearly, this is a passage about church leadership, and if you've been following me throughout the study of First Peter, you might wonder, I mean, what's the study of church leadership doing here? I mean, after all, to the most part, this is a book directed to churches under fire, where the pressure is mounting and where the backlash against the Christian faith has been growing. Peter's telling Christians that they need to continue to view themselves not as helpless victims, but rather as a chosen race, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. They're in a favored position. They're not a downtrodden, careworn people. Peter's also been telling God's people how to behave in the present crisis. They're to rejoice even in their greatest sufferings. Given this has been the thrust of the book, see, we might wonder that at least so it seems to me that suddenly Peter breaks from that theme and now deals with church leadership but a little thought will tell us that's not a sudden break at all. Peter is interested in the health of the church through difficult times. Well, to set this up, let me quote from an old hymn. It's called, The Church's One Foundation. I love verse three. It says, The church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those who hate her and strive to see her fail, against both foe and traitor she ever will prevail. There it is. Samuel Stone, the author of that hymn, simply reflecting on a biblical theme. Yeah, the church is in warfare, but she's going to emerge victorious. We do know, however, that while the universal church will never perish, see, a great many local churches have perished. And leadership is essential for any local church. Without leadership operating in a biblical fashion, the local church will collapse against the foe and the traitor that Samuel Stone wrote about. And so Peter has a word to the leaders of local churches in those troubled times. And as we read those words, we also recognize, look, it's a message to all local churches, to their leaders at any time. We're going to notice first how Peter addresses the leaders. Second, he'll talk about the task of the leader. Then third, the promise that's given to leaders. And then finally, the attitude required of all spiritual leaders. So let's start with how Peter addresses them. Verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Please notice that the word is elders. The Greek word is the word presbyteros, and you might know that there's an entire denomination that is the Presbyterian denomination that takes its name from this title given to Christian leaders. 
And by the way, as an aside here, there's another Greek word given for these same leaders, and it's called the episkopos, which is either translated as overseer or as bishop. And I mention that here to simply point out that both of those words, both elder and the word overseer or bishop, refer to the same office. Indeed, in the New Testament, there are only two offices for local church leadership. It's the office of elder and then the office of deacon. Elders are teachers and overseers of the local church, and deacons are servants who carry out a variety of functions not related to teaching and giving spiritual oversight. Now, I know that there are those who say, but isn't there also the office of an apostle? Yes, but if I had the time, I'd point out that the office of the apostle was never intended to be an ongoing office. Apostles were the eyewitnesses of Jesus. They were directly trained physically by Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul, now aware that he's soon going to die, he tells Timothy to entrust the gospel to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Well, what he's doing is telling Timothy to raise up faithful elders or pastors. Nowhere do we find the apostles telling the next generation to raise up faithful apostles. And furthermore, according to Ephesians 2 verse 20, the entire church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and is this true of every structure, you only lay a foundation once. I mean, think of it like one of those old cathedrals in Europe in which it took generation of workers to complete the build. The foundation is laid only once. Everyone who builds afterwards builds on the foundation. It's a great image for the church today. The foundation was laid once for all by the apostles, and every generation works upon that foundation. Very good. So what's an elder? As we're going to find out from verse 2, that an elder is a pastor. I know in today's world it's become very popular to make a distinction between elders and pastors. That distinction is not a biblical one. Elders in the Bible were those who taught the Word of God to God's people and who shepherded God's people as well as gave spiritual direction to the church as a whole. But let's get back to verse 1. Notice that Peter calls himself a fellow elder. Well, back in chapter 1, verse 1, he introduced himself as an apostle. And as an apostle, he had authority over all of the churches. But now in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, Peter also says, I'm an elder. So we know that Peter's writing this letter from Rome, and so it would seem that Peter has taken upon himself a leadership role in the local church in Rome. He would have been preaching regularly there, as well as discipling people, visiting people, giving spiritual direction. And so when Peter writes to the elders of the local churches, he wants them to know that the work they're entrusted with is also the work that he's been doing. Yep, he's an apostle, but he isn't the kind of a man who doesn't get his hands dirty, as it were, and he's doing the work of a local pastor, hard work. Secondly, Peter calls himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Well, we might think, well, course you were, Peter. You were there when Christ was crucified. He is an eyewitness. But I think, given the context of this book, Peter is now saying, along with the elders everywhere, I'm also a witness that Christ continues to suffer through his church. Yeah, Peter wants the elders to remain strong in the storm of persecution, and he's saying to them, I'm suffering even as you are. And finally, Peter says, I'm also an elder who remembers the glory to be revealed. So Peter mentions that because he knows 
Every elder becomes weary at some point in time. They think of giving up. Look, they shouldn't forget the reward that lies ahead of them. Peter's telling them, I'm not forgetting my reward either when I'm weary. So very good. Peter's addressing the elders. He gets their attention. Now in verses 2 and 3, Peter paints a portrait of the duties of an elder. And for our purposes today, as we read this letter, I think we're well served to ask this question. What is the job description of an elder? I think it's an important discussion because a great many people are confused about that. I mean, what is a pastor to do? See, I like what a man once told me. He said, I'd love your job. <laughs> he said, you just work one day a week. Yeah, I'll never forget that. I went home and told my wife, you know, honey, did you know I only work one day a week? And she said, well, how come that you're gone most evenings? Are you out playing golf? Well, we both laughed. So let's see Peter's list of what an elder is to do. Now, in this passage, Peter only mentions two functions. And if you think about it, these two functions wonderfully sum up everything the elder does. The first is that the elder is a shepherd. That's where we get our word pastor today, one who cares for the sheep. Shepherd the flock, that's what Peter says. Now, what are the duties of the shepherd? Well, it's fascinating to me that when describing the role of the leader of God's people, the Bible often refers to elders using the word shepherds. Now, practically, what does that mean? I think no better passage in Scripture defines that than Ezekiel 34. It's actually a a prophecy against the spiritual leaders of Israel. Ezekiel uses the image of a shepherd, and he tells the spiritual leaders of Israel what they haven't done. Let me just read it. Listen as Ezekiel speaks. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, our shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Now, if we take that passage as a baseline for job description and turn those negatives into positives, we can find that Ezekiel gives us a perfect job description of any pastor at any time. Hi, it's Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. You know, we believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people. And your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there may be times when you miss the radio program, so we wanted to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John. But you can also learn how to subscribe for our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our mission is to serve you so that Bible teaching you can trust is accessible to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to make a donation to this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Ezekiel 34, verse 4. 
Taking the negative points and making them positive gives us a wonderful five-point job description of what it means to be a pastor. Number one, pastors are to strengthen those who are weak. And here it must refer to those who are weak in faith. You know, among shepherds, weak sheep have to be taken to the next pasture land. You know, a good shepherd might sling them over their shoulders and carry the sheep for a time. So in our terms, I would say that pastors are to look for those who have not yet matured in their faith and are to strengthen them. Number two, pastors are to heal the sick. We need to get an image of sheep that may be dying. Of course, that's a metaphor. So we need to ask, who are the sick in the church? Now, of course, it might refer to those who are physically sick, who can't get out. They have no one to care for them. Many a faithful pastor or elder has visited shut-ins who can't get out, ministering the grace of God to them, serving them communion. But the sick might also refer to those who are spiritually sick. There might be those who are discouraged. They're no longer giving thanks to God in all things. You know, their spirituality is no longer healthy. Number three, pastors are to bind up the injured. And here, let's remember how many of God's people are actually injured. Some have been injured because they've witnessed their marriages being destroyed. I mean, perhaps they've had a spouse who's been sexually unfaithful or maybe a cruel and brutal spouse. And in consequence, they're deeply wounded and they feel alone. Others are injured because someone in the church has treated them cruelly. But whatever reason, faithful elders seek out the hurting. They bind them up. Number four, pastors are to bring back the strays. You know, each church will find that there are people who are straying for a number of reasons. I mean, some stray because of their sins. Some stray because things are hard. Some stray because they're distracted. There are numerous reasons for straying. And number five, faithful pastors seek for the lost. This is the pastor as an evangelist looking for people who are being drawn by the Holy Spirit and seeing them brought home to Christ. Now, you might say, but where does teaching and preaching come into this? Well, it does in all of it. The pastor who imagines that he can preach while he doesn't know the sheep is fooling himself. Of course, the task of a pastor is to know the Bible well, to be able to explain it and to make application. But application can't be made when the pastor hasn't been with the hurting and the erring and the straying and the doubting, and even with the victorious. I once read a marvelous quote. How can you be a good shepherd? The quote said, a good shepherd smells like sheep. That's because the shepherd has spent time among them. And so, of course, to shepherd is to teach the word of God. All elders are preachers. But if they're not, they're not elders. But all elders are also shepherds. If they're not, they're not elders. The second role that Peter gives to the elder is to be found in verse 2. They are, he says, to exercise oversight. Oversight is leadership. It's to provide direction. It implies official oversight. It implies that leadership decisions need to be made. Now, having given those two roles of an elder, Peter then gives three qualifying statements. Not this, he says, but that. Notice the first one. Not under compulsion, but willingly. The idea here is not that you feel cornered into doing it, but rather you're doing it out of desire, out of joy, out of a willful attitude. Here's the second antithesis, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That is, the elders must not be motivated by money. 
You know, I once heard, I think it was Howard Hendricks who said it. He said, you know, if you're going into pastoral ministry for the money, well, he said, you don't have the intellectual qualifications for the job. Well, now, that is true in many cases, but we also know that there are those cases where the pastoral ministry actually pays well. And Peter's not addressing how much a pastor should be paid. He's rather addressing motivation. It's a good thing to have elders whose full-time work is caring for the sheep, but it's possible to have an elder who sees it only in terms of a paycheck. One should never go into pastoral ministry as a means of making a living. Peter says, rather, one is to be eager to serve God's people. Now, the third antithesis, not domineering over the flock. And we need to stop here because, as we will see in just a moment, Peter will take a great deal of time speaking about humility. But here on this note, I think it was John Kelvin who once said that the three great temptations of the pastor are always sloth or laziness, the desire for gain or the money-centered life, and then finally, the desire to dominate or the desire to exercise power over others. I once knew a pastor who was an abused, unpopular child when he was young. Now that he was a pastor, it was as if finally, There were a group of people who had to listen to him, and his attitude was shameful. But there are pastors who love to dominate. One famous pastor used to boast that he could break the will of anyone on his elders' board. Jesus, on the other hand, said that Gentiles lord it over one another, but this should not be the case among his own people. The one who would be first must be known as the servant of all. Look, the answer here is not that pastors should abandon their role of providing leadership. Look, leadership is demanded in the local church. Without leadership, the church fails. But here's the question. For what purpose are you leading? You know, it's been said that the great temptation among the young is sex. The great temptation among the old is power. Power is an aphrodisiac. It excites. It gives the one wielding it a rush of pure pleasure that little else can. Again, that attitude is denied to elders. What's the only motivation for Christian leadership? It's the desire to serve. It's the desire to see, as Ezekiel says it, the weak strengthened, the sick healed, the injured bound up, the straying brought back, the lost sought and found. And you can test this. Why do you want to do pastoral leadership? For Christ's glory? See, a good pastor cares not a whit if anyone remembers what he's done only that Christ is glorified for what's being done. Away with those pastors who seek glory for themselves. Let's move forward. We've heard Peter addressing the elders, then he's given a job description for the elder. Now he gives the reward the elder can anticipate. That's verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, every shepherd, elder, pastor, overseer, all those are the titles for the same leadership office They are to remember that they are not the chief shepherd, and that's so essential. You know, it was James who told us in James 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Every faithful pastor remembers that he will need to give an account before the chief shepherd for those who have thoughtlessly carried out their ministry to suit themselves. That's sobering. But here in 1 Peter, Peter's not concentrating on the accountability of the elder, but rather on the reward of the elder. When the chief shepherd appears at his second coming, the local shepherds in the local congregations will receive an unfading crown of glory. Now, 
I have only a little time to address this final item, and that is the attitude of the shepherd. Here Peter stresses the matter of humility. I think this tendency towards pride often befalls the pastoral ministry, and we must guard against it with vigilance. And I say that because in my experience, yes, pastors get criticized, but we get complimented far more than people realize. I think it's the reason why Paul forbids a new Christian from serving as a pastor. Not only is there so much to learn, but there is always the ever-present danger of pride. And once pride finds its way into the pastor's heart, he's easily manipulated by the evil one. Notice what Peter says, likewise you who are younger, that is younger shepherds, be subject to the elders. I think Peter means younger Christian leaders, while they are young, be subject to older leaders. But then he adds all of you, meaning all of you leaders, all you shepherds, for Peter assumes there'll be multiple elders in every congregation. All of you, he says, put on the clothing of humility. Think others better than yourselves. Don't be in this work thinking about yourselves, but rather the proper care of God's people. Peter quotes Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here's a question. How would you like God to oppose you? And that kind of competition, how do you think you do? I don't think you do well. You see, it's important that we don't have God as opposition. If you harbor feelings of pride, if you say, look, I'm in leadership, I'm in an exalted position, everybody's watching me, they say wonderful things about me, look at my church, we're growing faster than the other guy's church is going, I must be the best among them. I must be doing something right. It must be my giftedness. If that's what you think, God is your opponent. Here's the final word to pastors. Not only shepherd God's people and exercise oversight, but wait for your reward and fear God and fear your own foolish pride. Thanks for your message, John. You know, I've been reflecting lately over these last couple of years and what seems anecdotally anyway as the painful departure of so many pastors out of full-time ministry. And you know, I get it. I'm not sure in my lifetime that the church has been so brutal in their treatment of pastors. So then how do we encourage the next generation? Why should anyone want to take up the pastoral torch? Yeah, the answer to that, Ben, is I don't know. Um, You know, we must rethink what we've been doing. I mean, if there's a reason to let a pastor go, what are those reasons? Figure that out beforehand and make that a part of a pastoral contract. Well, at any rate, I think we should pray more for our pastor and commit ourselves more to him. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series Under Pressure right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. At Back to the Bible Canada, our mission is simple. Teach the Bible. The perfect guidance and instruction on how we are to live our lives is already available in His Word. The Bible is the only self-help book you'll ever need. This month, we have an outstanding resource to help prime your hearts to receive the wisdom of the Bible. Before You Open Your Bible by Matt Smethurst is an excellent book that shares how we can position our mindset to one of gratitude and humbleness in preparation for reading the Word. 
We're confident this will help positively influence the way you view your Bible study. And that's why we've made this resource available for you for free for the month of July. So simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your free copy or to send a financial gift to support this Bible teaching ministry.